On Monday was the Feast of the Cross, Monday through Wednesday. Actually, we celebrate the Feast of the Cross uh, for three days. And there are two Feasts of the Cross, by the way. There's one that we just celebrated, and there's one in March. Uh, and the one we celebrated on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is the, uh, is the one where St. Helen discovers the cross um, under a pile of, of garbage in Jerusalem. Um, and it's, it's nice that, uh, that God let his cross be found and revealed it in such a miraculous fashion. Um, and, and maybe it's just to let us know that the, the cross will always be in our lives and always be a part of our lives. Um, give me So I wanted to read to you uh, what St. Paul says about the cross, and he talks a lot about the cross. He says, But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are called the power and the wisdom of God. And I underlined a few words because the, the question is, which is it? Does the cross bring us closer to Christ, to God, or does it move us further away? Is it a stumbling block and foolishness, or is it power and wisdom? And the, and the answer is a little of both, or it could be both. So let's look at the, the two thieves. And again, St. Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those, to, those who, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So again, the question, is it foolishness or is it power? So there were there are two thieves on the cross, two others, and the question is, can two people react differently to the same event? They're both in the same situation, they're both being crucified, and the answer is, of course. One thief asked Christ to remember him when he comes into his kingdom, very humbly. He wanted to be with Christ, and he wanted to be with Christ, and he was okay on the cross. And what did the other, other one ask for, the left-hand thief? He asked to get off. He didn't want the cross. He didn't want to be on the cross. He didn't want to be with Christ. He didn't want to be any anywhere near that situation. And so, is it possible for two people to be in the presence of Christ and for one person to see him and the other person not to? Sure. Is it possible for one soldier on the day of the crucifixion to put a spear in his side and to curse him and another soldier say, truly, this was the Son of God? Is it possible for one disciple to betray Christ and the other one to follow him to the cross? Is it possible for some Pharisees to say, crucify him, and other Pharisees to take his body down with honor and bury him, as Nicodemus and Joseph do? So, of course, right, today's gospel is on Simon and the sinful woman. He was a Pharisee. And by the way, this is a different story. It sounds the same, but there are two times when a woman poured oil on Christ. The first one was, was Lazarus's sister, uh, and she poured it on his head. And this is the, the sinful woman who poured the ointment on his feet. So how does today's gospel relate to these two thieves? What's the, what's the link? It's possible, of course, for two people to interact with Christ 
to speak with Christ, spend the day with Christ, have dinner with Christ, and one forget, and one will get nothing, and another will get everything. It's possible for two people to come to this church today, one person to get nothing, and one person to get everything. Two people take communion. One person, as St. Paul says, brings damnation and condemnation upon themselves, and the other one to receive the body of Christ. Two people attend a Bible study. One person thinks that was boring and got nothing out of it, and the other one was in tears. It happens all the time. And similarly, in our lives, sometimes crosses come to us, and two people react differently. It's possible that, you know, two people, one person gets an illness or a disease or some problem in their life, and they react by getting closer to God. And another person gets an illness and a disease and a problem, and they react by saying, what kind of good God would do this to me? I don't believe. And, and turn on God. And so this story immediately reminds us of another story where two people were in the presence of God. One left justified and one left condemned. And it's, this, it's the parable, right? The parable that Christ told of the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee had an exaggerated view of himself, his self-worth, and he viewed himself as righteous because he fasted two days and gave a tenth of his stuff. And he comes to God and he asks for nothing. He's offering himself. He's offering his righteousness. He's, he's offering his own glory, if you will, to God and kind of presenting it to God, telling him how amazing he actually is. Whereas the publican comes, he's broken. And he says those famous words, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And he beats on his chest an action that to this day Abuna still does at the liturgy in, in a certain part. And he has this sense of who am I to stand before you? And of course, the end of the story, as we all know, the tax collector leaves justified and the Pharisee does not. And of course, there's nothing more dangerous than seeing righteousness in yourself or any kind of goodness, really. This isn't about being negative and self-loathing and having a, a bad image of yourself, but rather seeing the reality of the situation, right? Any goodness in me, anything I have has come from God. I have to remember I'm dust, but then God blew in my face and he gave me the Holy Spirit. And anything good is that kingdom of heaven that's inside of me. And it's a gift and it's from God. So let's move from the parable to the, to the story, the actual story that happened. The Simon and, the, and this sinful woman. So you see, it's the same story. It's the same story as the cross. It's the same story as the parable that he told of the publican and the Pharisee. It's just a different, different characters. So Simon invited Christ to his house and maybe some other Pharisees. And the question is, why did he invite him? I don't know. Maybe he wanted to meet him. Maybe he wanted others to meet him. Maybe there he invited some other prestigious people in the community and he wanted them to meet Christ. Maybe they wanted to evaluate him and see what he's like. Maybe they felt sorry for him. You know, the gospel says that he had no place to lay his head. So at some level, Christ was a, a homeless man, a wandering man. And they felt bad for the guy and said, let's give him a good meal. 
give them a home-cooked meal. Let's take them in, treat them nicely. And maybe he wanted to give Christ a chance to meet the powerful people, to impress these powerful people. You know, in politics, we call this access, right? You pay a lot of money, and you get to, to have dinner with powerful people. And people will pay money for that access. And maybe Simon thought to himself, I'm going to give Christ some access. I'm going to let him meet these powerful people. And maybe he can be influential, and maybe that's what he's looking for. So in that way, Simon is very similar to the, the, public, the, the Pharisee in, in the parable. He wants to give Christ, he wants to give God from his abundance. In the parable, the Pharisee wanted to give him from his righteous deeds, and he listed all of his righteous deeds. He is offering to God from his own wealth, from his own prestige, from his own power, from his own acts of righteousness. He is giving skipped a page <laughs> all right I flipped it and I'm like that's not what comes next okay um, all right so he came and he wanted to give to Christ from his own prestige his own power maybe he wanted to give him some influence but more importantly why did Christ go I mean Christ is going and he knows this guy's got a cold heart he knows he's probably judging him he knows he's not gonna have much of an effect why would Christ accept to go into his house and then sometimes I think maybe he only went because he knew the sinful woman would be there. He knew she would come. And maybe those are the people he's actually seeking. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Maybe these are the people he's actually looking for. He's not looking for the powerful and the prestigious and the self-righteous and the ones who have all of these acts and deeds and um, things that they've done. The woman comes broken and crushed and frustrated with her life. It's clear she's gone to the conclusion that her life is now is untenable. We note that the gospel never writes her name. Sometimes the gospels does that. It doesn't give a name to the paralyzed. And the fathers always teach us that the reason they don't give a name is because you insert your own name here. And so maybe she's, maybe I'm supposed to be that person who comes to Christ broken. And it seems like she's tried to end her life and couldn't. And of course, this relates to me. How many times have I come to my father in confession and just said, I keep doing the same thing over and over again. I keep falling into the same sin over and over again. I've tried and I can't stop. So she's the same way. And she thought, you know what, I'm going to try something new. And so she came, instead of coming to give to Christ, as the Pharisee did, she came to take she came to take from Christ to change her life and not give. She came for grace and she came like a beggar. She came humiliated and threw herself in front of Christ and worse, in front of this Pharisee who knew all about her and she knew what he would think about her. And he, she was probably worried about what he was gonna say about her in front of everybody else. So I have to ask myself, and we all have to ask ourselves, why did I come today? Why did I come to church? Did I come to take like the sinful woman did? Did I come to beg 
like a beggar for grace? Did I come to ask for help? Or did I come to give of my talents, of my energy, of my knowledge, help the church from my abundance? You know, things like, you know, we have to go and support the church. We have to offer our services to the church. It's almost like I come and I want to, you know, if you pardon the expression, I want to lend credibility to the church by my presence. It's almost like Simon did to Christ. Let me, I'm going to help you out by letting you come into my house. So I don't know what this woman did in her past. I don't know what caused her to come to repentance. I don't know what caused her to come that day to Christ. And I don't know what would put her in such a state that she could handle coming in front of such hateful, judgmental people and weep like that and expose herself like that and put herself out there like that in front of these self-righteous eyes. But she came begging for grace. I imagine that all the past and all, that she's tried so many times to stop using her own human strength and couldn't and she needed something else. And can you imagine the warfare that, that, that Satan imposed on her as she walked to Simon's house? Can you imagine the thoughts of self-doubt she had? The thoughts of, I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be embarrassed. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to say something about me. I know these people. They're evil people. Can you imagine that walk to, to, to see Christ and how much Satan attacked her? St. Isaac the Syrian has this beautiful saying. He says, and I wish we could all say it with him, my sins are many, my Lord, but your compassion is greater than my sins. My wicked deeds increase in number, but they are incomparable to your mercy. Your love is greater than my sins. I look, my Lord, at my sins, and I am speechless at how willful I have been. Observing your deeds toward me, wonder seizes me. How I, ha how I have been rewarded by you in a way opposite to what I have merited. So today the, the, the psalm of the gospel is beautiful. It says the Lord is the strength of his people. It's almost like David looked, the church chose this psalm and David looked back and it's the perfect psalm. The Lord is the strength of his people. And I'm sure this woman looked for strength. She looked for strength in her own self. She looked for strength in her family, in her community. She probably looked for strength in the synagogue with the Pharisees and the church elders, the people who were supposed to help her. She looked for strength everywhere and she found no strength. And she found no hope. Not in her family, not in her community, not in her religion. And she sounds like so many of us. And in the midst of this isolation and loneliness and exhaustion and exclusion from her community and loathing by the people who are supposed to love her, the words of God rung in her heart, the Lord gives strength to his people. And so this, this psalm gives us hope. It continues, save your people, bless your inheritance, shepherd them and bear them up forever. So to complete the picture, this was the Pharisee invitation. Let's complete the picture by looking at the tax collector invitation. One where a tax collector invited Christ to his house. And of course, Christ was invited to many people's homes. And let's compare it to the invitation of the Pharisee. They're all the same story. 
doesn't matter which, Pharise which, which uh, tax collector you choose, whether it be Zacchaeus or Levi, but I'll, I'll pick the, the Levi one, who's Matthew, Matthew the Apostle, the Evangelist. Then Levi hosted a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors was there, along with others who were eating with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the tax collector is a sinner. And when we ask him, why did you invite Christ into your home? He gave the answer of today's Psalm, because the Lord is the strength of his people. Why did Matthew invite all of the other tax collectors? Because they're all sick of their lives. They're all sick of being greedy. We all know the servitude that money does for many of us, how it's, it's the master and we're the slave and how we'll do anything for the money, even to the point of acting like the Jews enslaved by the Egyptians in the Old Testament. So we're not sure who was at the house of the Pharisee at Simon's house when he invited Christ to eat. But we know, we know a bit more who was at his house when he entered the house of the tax collector because they t attacked him later and said, your master eats with tax collectors and sinners. I'm sure the, F the Pharisee gathered the most prestigious people in the community. And I'm sure the tax collector, he pulled together the weakest and the most broken people he could find to come and have hope in this man. Christ's place is with the weak and the broken. He just doesn't belong in the home of the prestigious and the powerful and the respected. The scribes and the lawyers and the Pharisees, that's not his place. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I came to save my people. I came to heal the sick and the sinners. I have nothing to offer righteous people, but I do have something to offer to the sick and the broken and the sinful. So we see that when Christ was placed in a house where he just doesn't belong, he just didn't fit in. And Simon's words kind of certified it, right? He said, he said, if this man were a prophet, right? So even his own host, the guy who invited him over for dinner is a judging him and hating him. And again, the same story as the cross. One of them gets nothing and the other one gets everything. This is our story every Sunday every Bible study, every Bible study, every encounter with, with, with God, we come and some get something and some get nothing, but why? And this is the, the final part. So there's this verse that Christ said, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I'll say that again, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So this has to intrigue all of us because Christ kind of unwound the whole thing. He kind of pulled the thread and he said, let me explain to you what happened today at dinner. So I want to read to you a, a small sermon that I was going to plagiarize, but decided I'm just going to read it to you straight. I was you know, going to make it look like my own, but I was like, why? So it's from Father Matthew. He says, if we find that our love is little, know that we have been forgiven little and that our sin is still great. Some of us complain that our love is weak. It's weak 
because the sin is great and the proportion of it that has been forgiven is little. Have you ever seen someone after they pour themselves out to a priest? It's like they become insane. They want to serve and run around and help everyone. They will do anything and help out in any way and serve the church in any way. This person loves much. Why? Because he's been forgiven much. There is a deep mystical link between love and forgiveness. The Lord taught it to us with this, with this parable of someone being forced, being given 50 or 500. This wasn't addressed to the Pharisee, it's addressed to me. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, do you love Christ very much? What's the thermometer? How do I know? Let's suppose after church, I see you after church and I tell you that I miss you and love you. But as we're talking, you notice that my eyes aren't looking at you and they're shifting and focusing on everyone except you. How do you feel? Do you feel loved? Do you believe me when I say I love you? Although as we're talking, I'm just looking at everyone except you. Is it possible for me to greet someone I love very much while my, wa my mind wanders to another person whom you don't actually love? When our mind wanders in prayer, that means the thermometer is very cold. What causes this coldness? In the book of Matthew, it says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Sin causes coldness when it resides in the heart. If there is no forgiveness, then there's no love. You won't feel love towards God and his children. Is there a way to increase this love? Yeah. The love towards God and others? There is. I run to God. I confess my sins. And then my sins will be forgiven, and I will feel a very strong love towards God. If you see someone who doesn't have love towards others and love towards God, know that they haven't cast their sins on God. There's no relationship between them. And he said, there's no other way, my friends, to strengthen the bond of love between God and man except through the forgiveness of sins. This is how we feel God working inside of us. And as soon as he feels, the man feels that his sins are forgiven, he can't believe it and love starts to be formed. So this is the link. As Christ said, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The key to loving God and to loving one another is throwing our sins onto Christ. And glory be to God forever. Amen.